read about all these words that he wrote. I mean, he wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, right? We read all about it, and as we read it, we think about him all the same all the time, don't we? We just think that's what Paul wrote, and we just think about that. But I want to remind you tonight that that Apostle Paul was just a man. He wasn't any different than you and me. God called him to do something special. But might I also remind you that no matter what it is God wants you to do, it's just as special. Each one of us has a work to do. Do you know that? Each one of us has a labor to do. Sometimes those titles change. Sometimes those labors change. Sometimes God gives us a particular task at a particular time in our life, and we are to do all we can do to do it with all we got to do it with. Yeah. Then there are other times in our life where we're going through things and we go, Lord, what are you doing in my life? You ever been there? Lord, what's next? I don't know what to do. I don't even know really who I am. One day a man asked me, he said, he said, my pastor asked us a question at church, and I really struggled with answering it. He said, the pastor asked us all on that Sunday morning, who are you? Who are you? He said, I got to thinking about it. He said, the first thing that came to mind is I, I just tell him, my, well, I, my name. And that's not the answer, because the pastor wasn't asking, what's your name? Who are you? Most of us, if we look at ourselves, we evaluate ourselves by what we do, don't we? Who are you? Who are you? Well, I work here, I do that, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a whatever. But the fact of the matter is, who we are ought to be wrapped up in whose we are. Who we really are, dear Christian, is not what we think we are. And who we really are is not who we try to portray ourselves to be. Who we really are is who God sees us to be. And what we really are, every one of us in this room that's saved, are just sinners saved by grace. All of us are equal at the foot of the cross. There are no super Christians. There are no nobody Christians. God didn't make any trash. We are all valuable because of Jesus. Outside of Jesus, we have very little to no value. We all can say tonight, those of us that are saved in this room, we can honestly say, without Christ, I'm nothing. And you know where we learned that from? We learned that from the Holy Spirit. But we also learned it from the Word of God. And whether you know it or not, you really learned that from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul demonstrated that in his life. Now when we think of the Apostle Paul, we think of the great works that he did, don't we? Don't we think of all the, 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 the missionary journeys? Don't we think of his hard preaching? The hard things that he said? But he was more than that. He was a man who was a sinner, just like us. Who had a beginning just like us. 
Every one of us has our own salvation story. If you're saved. And the Apostle Paul's was just spectacular, that's all. But the greatest testimony would have been if he wouldn't have been so stubborn and hard-headed to start with, wouldn't he? I would imagine that man bore a lot of scars, wouldn't you? I'm going to read to you something out of Galatians chapter number 2. We're going to look at three portions of Scripture tonight, and I want you to see something that maybe you've never paid any attention to. And I want you to realize, as we look at the Apostle Paul, he is the pattern of us all. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's not how much fire and zip and zeal you have when you're a young Christian. It's how much grace, compassion, love, and mercy you have when you get to the end. That's what really matters. Galatians chapter 2, you all know this scripture very well, I'm sure. Galatians 2, verse 20 and 21. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. What a verse. What a verse. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I come to you tonight. I come to you with thanksgiving. I come to you humbly, Lord, tonight. Asking you to just take these scriptures. Teach us, Father, some things about the Apostle Paul and help us to see some things that parallel in our own lives. And I pray, Father, you would help us to see where we are along our journey. And I pray, God, you'd help us to all realize that one day soon and very soon, either you will call us to yourself by the way of the rapture, you'll call us to yourself by the way of death. Whatever the way is, I pray, Lord, we're ready to go. And Father, when we get there, when we do get to that time in our life, I pray, Father, that we will end like the Apostle Paul did. Being ready. Being ready. Father, if there's one soul in this room tonight that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I pray God tonight would be that night of their salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would save that sinner nearest hell and, Lord, start them on that journey like you did the Apostle Paul on that Damascus road all those years ago, like you did each one of us that are saved at whatever place we were when we trusted in the finished work of Jesus. And I pray, God, you would work in them. Lord, I pray for this church. I lift up Pastor Joe and Cammie and I pray, God, that you would just give them wisdom, give them strength. I pray, God, that you would encourage them and, and help them as they are on their journey through life. And I pray, Father, for the future of this church. I pray for those souls in this community, in this town, that are lost right now tonight. They're lost and on their way to hell. They have no idea you're about to step into their life and show them their need. You're about to save them and bring them to this place and use them and you're going to ground them and root them in the Word of God and use them. Oh God, I, I pray for them. And I pray for those who are here tonight already saved.
Lord, that you would just do that work in their heart that only you can do. Please, dear God, tonight, show them your immense love and mercy and grace and show them your power, show them your strength, and show them, Almighty God, they're not dead, they're not done. You still have a great work for each one to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, most of the time we think about the Apostle Paul, we think about, just like he's talking about here, he said, I am crucified. Now, I want you to understand, this is early in the Apostle Paul's ministry. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of a, of, of a timeline here, just for a few moments. And I want to show you something at the beginning of this book of Galatians. This book of Galatians is the third book that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote this while he was on his third missionary journey. He's still very early in his ministry, still on fire for God, still going hard. He's a hard charger. I want you to realize that that man Saul of Tarsus, he was present at the stoning of Stephen. Y'all read that in the Bible, right? Y'all have read the Bible? All right. So Stephen was stoned, and there was Saul. He was holding the coats, and, and that happened about 34, 35 A.D. Soon thereafter, about 35 A.D. on the Damascus Road, the Lord God spoke to Saul of Tarsus, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? And you know, if you know your Bible, you know that God saved him, and then God gave him blindness, didn't he? He put him absolutely to where he had to stop and listen, be led, and he had to learn. And the Apostle Paul went through his learning phase. And then all of a sudden we see his ministry start to develop his first missionary journey from about April 48 to about September of, of 49 AD. He went on that first missionary journey. It's interesting to note that on that first a missionary journey, he took Mark with him, John Mark. And as they were out there uh, on their missionary journey, here's Paul, here's Barnabas, here's John Mark, and we don't know why. The Lord didn't say, but John Mark decides he's got to go home. He can't handle it or whatever. We don't know why. But he left. Then we come to the second and third missionary journey, the second one, especially Barnabas says to Paul, I want you to take John Mark along with you. And Paul says, nope, ain't having nothing to do with it. He quit, he run out, he left, we don't need him. Y'all remember reading that? So Barnabas and Paul had a falling out. They argued over it. Barnabas said, I'm not going to argue with you, Paul. I'll just take Mark and I'll go this way and and Paul took Silas and went that way. Went on their next missionary journey. That came in April of 50 to September of 52. They went on the third missionary journey in the spring, sometime in the spring of 53. And it ended in May of 57. Paul was a seasoned preacher now. He was a seasoned preacher, a seasoned missionary. But he still was yet still very young in his ministry. We come now, this is the third book that, that Paul writes. This is written about 62 A.D. Right after that third missionary journey, and right about the time this book is written, is when all of a sudden there started to be persecution against the Apostle Paul. 
And if you study his life and you read through this, from about that time of A.D. 60, 59 or so, up until his, his murder in about 66, 67 A.D., you're going to see some very interesting changes in the Apostle Paul. The changes that he went through are normal changes that ought to go through each and every one of our lives. Now, if you notice this, this third book that he wrote, look at how he starts. And this is the way we think when we think of the Apostle Paul. He said, Paul, an apostle, not a man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren that are with me under the churches of Galatia, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins and He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Man, that's the Apostle Paul, is it not? Then he goes on, he says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from Him that called you. Right after he said all that, he said, and now what's your problem? Am I right? You see, the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest evangelists that have ever lived on planet earth. And when he was young, in his ministry, he had fire, he had zip, he had zeal, and he had great boldness to the point where he was just going to tell it like it was, whether you like it, lump it, or bump it. I can relate. I really can. But as I'm growing older, I'm also relating to some of the other things we'll talk about tonight. You see, there comes a time in every church, and when we have revival, we need that. We need that Apostle Paul emphasis. We need to be reminded, just like the Galatians were, about Jesus who gave Himself for us. By the way, tonight, if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want you to know that Jesus Christ was God. He enrobed Himself in flesh. He came to this earth for one reason, to die for you. He became your sin for you on the cross of Calvary. And yes, He loves you so much that He died for you. And when He died, He went into the grave. And on the third day, He arose again. We serve a risen Savior, not a dead one. And we need to proclaim that in church tonight and every time we gather. Then we also need that preaching when it comes to revival of, hey, what's your problem? You better get over it. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. But you also need that preaching about changes in life, changes in direction. And you also need that preaching that's going to edify you and build you and strengthen you and encourage you for the hard days that could come, for the changes that will come in your life, and for the ultimate end of your life. We don't just need to live. We need to live as though we could meet Jesus at any moment. 
So young Apostle Paul, young Evangelist Paul, young preacher Paul, he made sure he told them, I'm the Apostle and I am telling you the Gospel. And I'm also telling you that you got to get your heart right. You've been bewitched, Galatians, you know all about that. But he said this, I am crucified. Now if we stop right there, that's a horrible thing. I'm crucified. I am a walking dead man. And all people are dead men walking. They're either dead men spiritually walking, or they're just bodies that will die walking. But he didn't just say, I'm crucified. He said, I am crucified with Christ. The early part of Paul's ministry is a great focus on the fact that he was crucified with Christ and that we also are crucified with Christ. When Jesus was on the cross, he became our sin. He paid the sin debt for each and every one of us completely. How many of y'all agree with that? We do not get saved by our works. We are saved by grace. We are not kept by our works. We are kept by the power of God. It is His power. And so Paul in his early ministry, as he went from church to church, and as he wrote these letters, many times he was addressing sinful issues, failures, moral calamities, spiritual calamities, making sure they understood that there were those among them that were teaching damnable heresy and all of these things. He set straight the way church is supposed to be. It was the Apostle Paul who taught us what leadership in the church was supposed to be. The pastor is supposed to be man, a male, right? Deacons are supposed to be male, right? The, the head of the church is Christ. The head of the home is the man. The head of the children is that, that both really the husband and woman. So it's the Apostle Paul that sets forth these things that some people think, man, the Apostle Paul was so harsh. He was so brutal. He was, I mean, he was just raw, <laughs> for lack of another term. You understand? But there's more to the Apostle Paul than meets the eye. How many of y'all remember when you first got saved? And you got into church, and I mean you wanted to do anything the preacher wanted you to do. You were willing to empty trash cans. You were willing to vacuum the floor, wash the windows. I mean, if the pastor asked you, would you uh, stuff bulletins, uh, stuff tracks and envelopes and lick stamps and mail them, I mean, you'd be willing to do anything because you were just so happy to be saved and so on fire. Do you remember when you first got saved and you, you didn't really have that fear of witnessing because you didn't know you were witnessing? You were just telling people what happened to you? I remember when I first got saved and, and the next day I went to work and I told my boss I got saved. And my boss was a Catholic. He didn't know what I was talking about. But I, I just told him because... I just expected everybody that I worked with was going to be so excited. I remember telling my mom and dad. My mom and dad, I told them, I got saved. My dad got angry. 
And I didn't understand. I remember telling Jill's parents that I got saved. And they looked at me like, I'm not 100% sure it's going to stick. <laughs> but they had been praying for me. The first time I went to my wife's house, I went to pick her up. And I walked up, I knocked on the door, and her mother opened the door, and she said, who are you? <laughs> At that time, who I was was just a man that had the hots for a daughter. <laughs> Who I was at that time was a sinner not looking to be saintly. Can you all understand? But she asked me, Who are you? Who I was then is not who I am now. And I remember she asked me, Do you go to church? And I said, No. She said, if you did go to church, where would you go? I said, I guess the Catholic church. My family's Catholic. I saw a tear roll down her eye and she turned around. She didn't want me to see her crying. She started praying for me on that day. She started praying hard. It took a lot of years, but because of that woman's tears and that woman's prayers, I stand before you today. But I was asked, who are you? And who I was was not anything good because I had not met the one who was good. The only one who is good is Jesus. And so when we first do come to Christ, we realize how good He is, how merciful He is, how loving He is. Are you following me? And we just want to show that love back. I remember telling my parents, I told my boss, I told my wife's parents, I remember telling some of my friends, and they did not understand. They thought, you know, you're just going through some emotional thing. It'll change. Oh, it changed all right, but not the way they thought. But I also remember when I first got called into the ministry, just a few years after I had been saved, I was sitting at a tent revival at the, at the fairgrounds in Rockingham County. I was sitting there minding my own business. I was just singing just as I am for the 14th time at the altar call. And all of a sudden, you know how those evangelists do when nobody responds to the altar call, they decide to start preaching a second sermon. You know, like the Apostle Paul did. I marvel you're so soon removed. <laughs> there was some scripture that he quoted that the Lord used to convict me. And all of a sudden, sitting there in that chair, I knew that the Lord had called me to preach. I was scared to death. I got up out of that seat and I went to that altar and I fell upon my face and I wept and I cried and I said, Lord, I love You. You know I love You, but I am not worthy. I am not able. I don't know anything. I am uneducated. I, Lord, You know I am still yet, even though I'm saved, I'm so evil. 
I'm so wicked. I do so many things wrong, God. Why? Why would you want somebody like me? And I cried at that altar that night. I cried. I wept. And I wept. And I cried. And I cried. And I'm sure the evangelist probably thought I was getting saved. We went home. Jill just, she, she just didn't say anything. She figured I'd tell her eventually what was going on. She probably figured I'd done something stupid and I had to repent. That happened frequently too. So I was sitting in church. And in our little church, Victory Baptist Church in Harrisonburg, where we sat, I sat on the third row, right? About where he's sitting, where Kenny's sitting. Jill's sitting right beside me. I didn't know how to tell my wife, so I wrote her a note. I said, Honey, the Lord has called me to preach. And I handed her the note. She looked at it, she looked at me. She wrote, Ha ha, yeah, right. Anybody but you. You talk about deflated. <laughs> she handed me that note back. I kept that note in my Bible for years. I don't know whatever happened to it. To make a long story short, I surrendered to preach. And when I surrendered to preach, I went to my pastor and I told him, I said, Pastor, uh, the Lord has called me to preach. He said, Really? Well, let's see about that. You're on Wednesday. What? Yeah, I think I'm going to take, take off. <laughs> okay. I preached that Wednesday night, and it was evident. The Lord had called me to preach. I didn't throw up. I didn't run out. Felt like it. Scared to death. But I started preaching as a young man with zeal. I started preaching as a young man with fire. And I, if you think I preached hard the last few nights about things, man, I hid everything. What the Apostle Paul wrote and the way he wrote, and especially in the early in his ministry, I can relate to. I mean, every time I preached, I nailed everything. From, from drinking to smoking. <laughs> and I sound like I need a couple more Camel Non filters up here. <laughs> I preached on everything. I mean nothing. I, I, we just, everything was sinful. And I just preached so hard, I preached against everything and everything and everything and everything and everything. And I was getting invited all over the place. And because I was preaching against everything, I was the poster boy for the independent fundamental Baptist. I mean, women don't wear pants. and all that. I mean, I preached it all, baby. You better not listen to anything but FBN or BBN. If you listen to anything else, you're going to hell. I preached it all. <laughs> I was on the radio. I was preaching in different places. I was hitting everything. But I had no love inside. 
I had no real compassion. I had no real love for people or souls. I thought this matter of preaching was this matter of just nailing everybody's hide to the floor. Just let her rip, tear her chip, and, and tell them the way it is. And I will do that. But there's a difference today. The difference today is this. I want to make sure that if I preach hard on it, it's actually from the Bible. I want to make sure if I preach hard on it, that I'm actually living it. I want to make sure if I preach hard on it, I also extend to you grace. Because not everybody understands. I want to make sure that when I preach hard on these things, drinking and smoking and, and shacking up and sexual immorality and, and all of these things and homosexuality, that I, I preach hard against them. But I also want to remind people that it was for that that Jesus died. And Jesus became sin on the cross so that they could become the righteousness of God. And I want to make sure that when I preach to you, and when I preach to my church, that I preach hard. I don't hold anything back. But it better be seasoned with grace. This happened to me. And these guys that are here, they know it. They've heard it. You may not have. So here I was, the poster boy. Pride got in my heart. I was the one they wanted. I was the one they'd call. I was going to take over uh, a ministry if the Lord worked it out, and, and then I'd be a great evangelist with a tent. But God saw fit not to do that in my life. And on this day, I am very grateful and thankful. I got filled with pride. I got filled with arrogance. And I fell. I fell into sin. I didn't commit adultery or anything like that. If I did, I shouldn't be up here. I didn't get divorced. If I did, I shouldn't be up here. I didn't steal money from a bank. Might have cheated on my taxes, but I didn't steal money from the bank. But I had the worst sin that any Christian can have. Prideful arrogance. I started hurting more people than I was helping. I started noticing my circle of influence was getting smaller and smaller. The number of people that I was able to actually help and share the gospel with was getting smaller and smaller. All of a sudden, I found myself boxed into this little camp and this little crowd. They only would want me because I would preach those camp meeting things. The pride got in the way. 
I got angry with God. And I quit. I quit on God. I quit going to church. I quit reading my Bible. I quit praying. And when I quit all of those things, I quit living for Jesus. I got mad at my pastor. I left the church. And rightfully so. I mean, there were some things that were not right. But I got angry. I found myself one night in a bar. Any of y'all ever fell into sin in here? I found myself in a bar. And here I am, I'm standing in a bar, and i got a, a Budweiser in one hand and a cigarette in the other, and I don't even smoke. I just thought it would make me look cool. So I'm standing there, right behind a pole that held the ceiling up, and this woman came in the back, in the back door. She looked awful familiar to me. As she got closer, our eyes locked, and immediately, I knew who she was. Just a few months before, I had been in her living room. And I had told her that if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that God will take all His sin away from you. And you'll quit your drinking. And you'll quit your smoking. And you'll quit living like you're living. And you'll change everything. And you know there's, there's truth in that. But sometimes it takes time. Y'all following me? I tried to hide behind that pole. Tried to hide. That woman found me. It was like a tracker beam on me. She walked up to me and she said, I don't want to hear anything about your Jesus. I don't want to hear anything about your church. I don't want to hear anything about your God. You're a hypocrite. You tell me I'm not good enough and look at you. Man, you talk about a broken man. I left that place that night. I went home and I walked up and down in and out of our driveway almost all night. I wept and I cried and I cried to God to have mercy upon me. Please forgive me. I know I'm not worthy of anything, but God, please forgive me. I found myself in a church after a while. And finally the Lord had just changed my heart. Gave me a little ministry in the church. I started teaching children. Then after I stopped teaching children, I started teaching some adult classes. Then after a while, the Lord opened up the pulpit to allow me to preach. Broken. Humbled. A very different man. The Apostle Paul, when we look at this at the very beginning, remember, the Apostle Paul was on fire. He was a charger. He was a bull, man. Flip over with me to the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter number 4, you know verse 13, I can do all things through Christ. 
Philippians chapter number 3, as we're going to look at, I want you to see this. Now, this happens in 62 A.D. The persecutions had already started against Paul. I mean, he wasn't on the missionary journeys anymore, starting churches, raising up churches, going from place to place, great ministry, great things happening. All of a sudden now, they want to arrest him. They want to kill him. They want to throw him in prison. All of a sudden now, his mind is changing. His focus is changing. And all of a sudden we see in Philippians that he finds out what is the most important thing in life. If I asked you when you were a first saved Christian, who are you? And if you gave me that answer, it would probably be that Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I mean, you would have been on fire for God, wouldn't you? But you let a few trials come in your life. You let a few deaths happen in your life. You let a few disappointments happen in your life. You find a few church hurts. And there are no hurts like church hurts, Christian. There are no hurts on this earth like it. Your mama can spit in your face and it don't hurt as bad as some church hurts. It'll rip you apart in your soul. It'll defeat you, discourage you. It'll make you want to quit just like I quit one time. It'll drive you back to your old sinful life just like it drove me back to mine. But if you are saved, you will not remain there because you are loved by God. You are a trophy of His grace and He will not allow you to remain there. He will either break you or He'll remove you. <laughs> All of a sudden, Paul now if you read chapter number 3, look with me if you will. Verse number, number 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. When I was a young preacher, if you would have asked me, Hey, preacher Paul, what's the most important thing? Well, the most important thing is we fill the building. The most important thing is we preach the devil out of somebody. The most important thing is that somebody responds. The most important thing is, is that, and it's all really about yourself. Because you want people to respond to you. Paul says, I count all that as loss, that I may know the excellency of Christ. If you ask me now as an older man and as a man who has been preaching for 30 some years, you ask me what is important now, this is what's important. What is important is that while we are alive, we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of Christ that we seek His wisdom, that we seek His direction, and that we prepare ourselves when He seeks us to come home. 
there were times I would go home so depressed after church. Nobody responded. And my wife, bless her heart, I used to get so mad at her when she'd critique me. And I'll be honest, sometimes I still do, but I love, I love it. She is my helpmeet. And she tells me when I say stupid things. So we talk a lot. <laughs> she talks, I listen. She's like, yeah, Hutton. <laughs> but I used to be so discouraged. Nobody's responding. And I remember her in the way that she is looking at me one day and go, well, that's none of your business anyway. Well, how dare you? But that's none of your business anyway. Do you know what my business is tonight? My business is tonight is to open up the Scripture and preach to you that which the Lord has worked in me. My job tonight is to feed you the food of the Word of God, to show you some examples, to help you, to encourage you, to, to do what it is that only I can do in my voice, which is to convey a message. But I cannot convey a message to you if I have not gotten that message from God. Otherwise, I'm just preaching at you. And you know when the preacher's just preaching at you. <laughs> And it's up to you to take the information and allow the Holy Spirit to work through it and then respond. The Apostle Paul went on to say this, look very carefully. He said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered. Those who suffer with Him shall reign with them. It is a normal thing in the Christian life to suffer. And when we think about the suffering of the Apostle Paul, he suffered greatly in his body. And he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. I mean, he was in perils of his countrymen and perils from without. I mean, there were so many things that went on in the Apostle Paul's life and it actually only happened in a short span of time. His first part of his ministry was just missionary journey after missionary journey after missionary journey. Great numbers of people getting saved. Great churches getting built. And great things happening. And all of a sudden that kind of stopped. People didn't want to hear. And the opposition comes. And suffering comes. He says, notice this. Verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Tonight I know at the age that I am that there are going to be more sufferings from this point forward. And I know as I look at this congregation tonight, some of you can say, hey, you don't know nothing yet. 
every suffering that we go through ought to bring us closer to Jesus. Every heartache, every heartbreak, all of the death, all of the, the loss, all of the, all of the suffering should bring us closer to Christ. He said this. He said that I may know Him and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. Remember in Galatians 2.20, I'm already dead. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now may I be conformable unto His death. May I be found worthy to die for the cause of my Savior. What a change. What a change. What a change a little bit of age will bring. What a change a little bit of suffering will bring. What a change a little bit of heartache will bring. But what a great change indeed. Those of you that are young tonight, those of you that are young Christians tonight, those of you who, who have just maybe just gotten saved or, or only recently saved, let me tell you what the Christian life actually is. What the Christian life actually is, is not what you're going to read about when you buy all the popular books. This is not your best life. All of the suffering, all of the heartaches that we go through, brethren, are to make us desire to leave this world and be present with our Lord. It is to make us desire for the best life we have in the future. And I have got a great life ahead of me. And I'm not talking about on the earth. I know at my age, and I know with my health, I know I'm going to start going through some serious stuff. And I know with my age, I'm going to start seeing people around me die. I've been at Shenandoah Heights for 19 years. I love doing funerals. I love preaching funerals. But I hate death. The funeral is a wonderful opportunity for me to give the gospel. But that's my family. These are my, they're my friends and my family. I have no one but them. And when they suffer, when they hurt, I hurt. And when they're sick, it hurts me. And when they die, it hurts me on the inside. Y'all with me? I suffer with them. And then I have to put on the preacher face. I have to put on that preacher uniform. When instead of being up in front of, a, of, of the church or in front of the funeral home and there behind that casket, instead of being there, I would much rather be sitting on the front row with them, just weeping with them. But I've got to put on the uniform. And I've got to preach the gospel. And I've got to give hope to a lost and dying world who's sitting out there. I've got to tell their family and friends that there's hope in Jesus. But inside... I'm hurting because I suffer the loss too. One night I was laying in bed 
And I just started going back and thinking about the funerals that I've done at our church and some of those people who I truly, truly love. And I started weeping. And I started weeping and I was sad. And then I got to praying and I got kind of glad. Because the Bible tells us that it's coming today. We're going to have a great home going. There's going to be a family reunion one day. And when we have that family reunion, it's not going to matter whether you were some big name preacher. It's not going to matter whether you had some great ministry in the church. It's not going to matter whether your name was known by everybody. What's going to matter is how much you loved and how much you surrendered your life to Christ to find the fellowship of His suffering. We talked about this last night, me and Pastor Joe and and Howard. We want to commit. And we talk about committing. You don't see that from the Apostle Paul. He doesn't use that language. You see, when I make a commitment, I can break that commitment. I can commit to AJ, AJ, uh, I'm going to take you out to lunch, and then I realize I ain't got no money, and I'm going to break that commitment. <laughs> But when I surrender, when I surrender, there's no turning around. You see, a soldier who commits to go to war, he commits to go to war, but when he's in war, he can run away. When a soldier commits to go into the military and go to a foreign field and he finds himself on a battlefield, he can drop his weapon and desert. But as soon as a soldier surrenders, he is at the total will of the one to whom he surrendered to. There's no running away from that. You're a captive. And you have no rights. You and I tonight, dear child of God, need to understand that yes, when we first get saved and we're young Christians, yes, we ought to have that zeal. Yes, we ought to have that fire. And oh yes, we ought to be like the Apostle Paul. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But as we grow older, we need to stop and go. Oh God. I surrender. I surrender. I don't want to fight. I just surrender to you. I surrender my heart. I surrender my soul. I surrender my purposes. I surrender my passions. I surrender my all. And Lord, if it causes me suffering, even to the point of experiencing Your death, may I count all of the rest of life as loss that I might know 
the excellency of it all. One more turn to 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, remember how Paul started Galatians? Back in 62 AD. Paul an apostle! And not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me. All the brethren which are with me. You ought to remember that phrase in the early ministry. And you better remember it, dear young Christian, right now. Because there's going to come a day when you're alone. There's going to come a day when you face a crisis. And others can pray for you. Others can encourage you. But you are alone. He said in Galatians, Grace be unto you, peace from God, who gave Himself for us. I marvel you're so soon removed. What's your problem? We come over to 2 Timothy. Look how he starts. Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. <laughs> we get over to chapter number 4. Look what he says in verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered. Now listen, when I was a young preacher, because I thought I knew it all, I'm ready to be offered. You've got to get that independent Baptist movement in there. I'm ready to be offered. Come on, y'all. You know what I'm talking about. I don't think Paul said it that way at all. It was time for him to experience the suffering that he knew a few years prior he was going to suffer. He says, I'm ready, Timothy. I sure do love you, boy. I'm so thankful that God put you in my life. Instead of, what's your problem, boy? Oh, Timothy, remember love and grace and mercy. It comes from our Lord. I'm ready to be offered. I truly am ready now to be offered, Paul says. Remember, Paul said we're to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Now it's time for him to be that sacrifice. He said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I have kept the faith. How many times do we hear the young preachers? I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. That's not Paul. Not here. Not here. I got no fight left, Tim. I've fought my fight. I'm ready to be offered. 
It's time for you, young man, to step up and preach the Word. It's time for you to take the reins and take the Gospel and win that next generation. You want to see how much the Apostle Paul changed? Look at this. I am now ready to be offered. I fought a good fight. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. Look up here for just a minute. And I know I've gone a few minutes over. Bear with me. This is what the Apostle Paul said. And it's something I think that we absolutely miss. He said to those that love His appearing. Who are those that are going to love His appearing? True believers. And especially suffering believers. You want to see how Paul has changed? Look at this. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. <laughs> Before it was always like, I don't need you. I got all kinds of people around me. Now I'm alone. I'm an old man. I'm all alone. Oh, please come see me. Demas has forsaken me and loved this present world. You're looking at a preacher tonight who has very few friends in the ministry. And I'll tell you why. Because this world, the attractions of the world, has drawn them away. And they want to preach to great crowds. And they want to quote great preachers instead of just preaching the Word. And I didn't leave them. But they've left me. I'm just a little old-fashioned. I'm just a little out of touch. I'm just too emotional. I'm just too... too much me. You want to see how the Apostle Paul changed? He said, Demas has forsaken me. Only Luke is with me. Now watch this. Take Mark. Bring him with thee. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. <laughs> what he said is, I wanted to run too, boy. There were times I quit, but nobody knew I quit. There were times I wanted to go. I wanted to go home too. 
I'm not going to fault you for your failures. It's not how you start, Mark. It's how you finish. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. Why don't you go ahead and come on? Come on, man. Let me encourage you. Let me pray for you. Let me show you the fellowship of this suffering. You're profitable. That's how the Apostle Paul changed. And if you came to the Apostle Paul right here, right before they take his life, and you said, who are you? I guarantee you'd say this. I'm just a man who is learning the fellowship of the suffering of my Savior. I'm not much. But I know one who is everything. What a Savior. Let me ask you tonight, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Where are you along that journey? And are you understanding you're going to come to the time where God's going to need you to be like the Apostle Paul so that the next generation will see the fellowship of his suffering. Look at the last words ever written by the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to turn this over to your pastor for an invitation. These are the last words Paul ever wrote. Verse 22. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Grace. Grace. That young Paul was a pistol boy. I like old Paul. As a matter of fact, when I look at my life, I much prefer old Paul to young Paul. And I pray as I grow older that I'll be able to instill this into others and that I may know that I may know the fellowship of the suffering that I'll be so hungry so ready to cast off this flesh and to embrace my Lord and worship at those nail-scarred feet. How about you, brethren? How about you, Pastor Jeff?
Let's all stand this evening. The message is